Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James. And today we'll start our study in the book of James. As I said before, I've been looking forward to this study. I've, I've never studied this book out. I've read it many times, but never studied it. It's been on my heart for quite a while. And our dear sister Carolyn, one time, her and I talked about the book after she had read it. And just before her and I talked about that, Zane had told me he was looking in it too. And then I, I got several um, commentaries from different grace preachers sent to me. And so I thought, well, Lord, I guess you want me to preach on the book of James. So here we are. Praise his mighty name. And today's message will be an introduction to the book written by James. Let's read the first eight verses of this chapter. Just to get the context, we'll only be looking at the first verse today, but this will give us the context of that verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now next in there, there's our salutation from James, very short. Next we see James writing to the saints about the testing of their faith. Remember, these words are timeless. These words transcend time and they transcend culture, don't they? Because here we are, we're going to study this book in the next few months, and it's relevant for us. Isn't that amazing about the scripture? It's timeless. It's timeless. Here this book is written to the saints that are scattered abroad all over, and we're going to read this book, and and I believe that the Lord will bless us as we read this. Here give us, because he always does. When we study and read his word, he always gives us something, doesn't he? He comforts our soul. And so I pray that God the Holy Spirit would illuminate the Scriptures and teach us the things of Christ. So he continues writing here about the testing of their faith. My brethren. So who's he writing to right away? He's writing to the brethren. He's writing to God's born-again, blood-washed saints. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's a hard thing to do. Count it joy when we're going through things. But that's what the Scripture says. Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abrideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable, in all his ways. Again, this book is timeless. This book is timeless for all occasions of the Christian walk too. From the beginning of our walk with the Lord to the end of our walk with the Lord. It's timeless. And it'll deal with one issue in many ways. And the issue is the believer's response to divers' trials and temptations that attendeth our faith. It'll deal with that issue coming at it from different ways. Or you could say, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, things are going to come our way. And it will not stop until the day we breathe our last breath. We expect that, don't we? And as we've learned before, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? So the same things that the saints that James is writing to, the same things that they're going through are the same things that we're going to go through. Even though we have more technology now, men doesn't change, do they? We're the same. We're the same. Nothing new under the sun. That's why Solomon wrote that. Nothing new under the sun. And we are journeying through this life, beloved. And we will see the same things that the saints were beset with, we are beset with. The saints that James is writing to, we're beset with those things too. And all through this book, the principle of faith is prominent. And it's brought before us in this book, but it's viewed in light of response to the truth. Think of this. There's no place where justification or righteousness 
is put forth as a result of faith. That could never be. Our justification before God and our righteousness before God only comes to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a result of our faith. We are justified and made righteous in Christ. And we are granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, people twist these words and say, see, you've got to have faith to be justified. Well, they go hand in hand, don't they? But in no way does faith justify us before God. Who is our justification before God? Christ, him alone. But those who are justified, those who are made righteous, will have faith. Our justification again, our righteousness, all comes as a result of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. When he died on that cross in our room and place. And you know what he did when he died on that cross? He completely satisfied God's law and justice against us. And then you know what else he did? He extinguished the wrath of God that was against us. He extinguished it, beloved. It's gone. We have true liberty in Christ. See, God won't punish us twice, will he? He punished our sins in our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he won't punish us because those sins are bought and paid for now. It's amazing. Oh, my. And the issue is that faith produces in the believer works. We'll see that. The true faith does produce works, but those are works that God's ordained for us to do. And as we've seen before in our studies in the scriptures, God's people don't even know when they do them. Remember when the folks say, Lord, we've done all these things for you in Matthew 7. And then when you read over in the, the latter part of Matthew in the, in the great white judgment throne, the Lord's people are saying, when did we do these things? When did we do these things? And the Lord says, well, when you gave a cup of water or when you went and visited someone well, why do we do those things? Because we love the Lord, right? We love God's people. It's just natural, isn't it? It's just natural. Why do you pick up the phone and encourage one of your dear brothers and sisters in Christ? Because it's just a natural thing to do, isn't it? You want to let them know you love them. You want to let them know you're praying for them. And it's as natural for us to do those things, isn't it, as drinking water or praying for them. When the Lord lays somebody on your heart and you just start praying for them, it's just natural for you to do that, isn't it, as a believer? What a great change God's done, Right? Because it wasn't natural before I saved us, was it? No, we never even thought of that stuff. We'd say, oh, I'm praying for you, but never pray. But now as believers, when, when someone tells you they're praying for you, they're praying for you. It's incredible. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Again, the issue is that faith produces in the believer works. What do these works that faith produce have in design? To glorify God, right? To glorify God. See, in religion... In religion, man wants to get all the glory. But in grace, everything we do is to glorify God. You know, even our jobs were to do to glorify God. <laughs> used to think that when I was on the construction site. I thought, well, I'm here to glorify you, Lord. I don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm here to glorify you. And thank you for giving me a job I can go to and make some money to provide for my family. Glory to you. Give them all the glory. Give them all the glory. Oh, my. The work that come about as a result of faith in no way justify us before God. In no way they are a result of the work that the Lord's done in us. Now look at this in Colossians. Look at this in light of that. And remember, we're regenerated by the almighty power of God. Look at this. Colossians 1, verses 25 to 29. Where have I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God? See, Paul's saying, I'm in the ministry because God put me in the ministry. That's what all we grace preachers say. God put us in the ministry. We didn't put ourselves in. God put us in. 
And we're here to glorify God. That's all. We're just vessels that the Lord uses. And we're vessels with holes. <laughs> oh my. Look at it. He goes on. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Now think of this. Look at that. This verse is extraordinary. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. Think of all the people in this world who perished with no knowledge of Christ. Generations passed. And now the mystery is revealed to us. Isn't that amazing? Think of the Egyptians. There was generations of Egyptians that just perished in their sins and idol worship. And yet there was some in Israel, a remnant, who looked to the Messiah for his coming. Generations, people perishing all around us. And yet here we are, born again of the Holy Spirit of God, looking to Christ. And that mystery that was hid is revealed to us. Think of it. When you did not know Christ, we were lost as a white goose in a snowstorm, weren't we? Just wandering around, groping. And now we know him because he's revealed himself to us. He's manifest himself to us. Now Paul goes on, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is our only hope, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. Look at this verse. Now this is what I was talking about, where faith produces works. But notice who produces the works in us. It's very clear in this verse. Verse 29. Whereunto I also labor. So Paul's laboring in the gospel, right? right? Striving according to what? His working. Look at that. His working. Which what? Which worketh in me mightily. Look at that. His working. God, this, this is a work of God. It's not our doing. Why do we love God? Why do we love Christ? Because there's a work of God done in us. Isn't that amazing? Why do we love the gospel? Because there's a work of God done in us. Why do we love God's people? Because there's a work of God done in us. Why do we love the word of God? Because there's a work of God done in us. He works in us mightily because he's the almighty God. See, it strips us of everything, doesn't it? It strips us of any merit. Look at that. And then he says, Whereunto I labor striving according to his work in which worketh in me mightily. My, oh, my. My, oh, my. God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory, he gets all the honor, and he gets all the praise. Now these works revealed come in two basic categories. One is faith's response to the believer in need, and the other is faith's response to the abuse of the world. And we'll see that through the, our study in the book of James. Now the book of James over the years has been a subject of much debate. Martin Luther thought the book should not even be in the Bible because he felt like James was saying the believer was justified by works. And since the thrust of the Reformation was justification by faith, and that was the source of many martyrs having died at that time, any suggestion that a man was justified otherwise was anathema. So we can understand why he said that, because he thought the book was bringing forth works. You were justified by your works. But that's not the case. And we'll see that in our study. That's not the case. James was not putting forth any such doctrine. But again, extreme situations often bring extreme responses. And Luther was fighting tooth and nail to reform the Catholic Church of its practices of selling indulgences. They used to sell indulgences, which they had Peace of the Cross, supposedly. They had Roman spikes. They had many other trinkets that they sold. And they sold these things for the purpose to justify their dearly departed in releasing them from purgatory. This, is, this happened. This is history. And people even today are still paying 
paying that church money to try to get their relatives out of an imaginary place that does not even exist. Purgatory is not even mentioned in the Bible. And these indulgences, according to Catholic dogma, were a means of justifying the living people. And one could purchase one, and they thought that they would be sure of heaven. But if they purchased many, that would increase their chances. What manipulation. And see, we're wired for works, aren't we, in our natural state. So natural man just eats that stuff up. Just eats it up. And we were there. I was there. I was in that church. Praise God he delivered me from it. Oh, hallelujah. And through the years, many have argued about which James wrote this letter. See, this is stuff that just, you know, some, some person here says, well, this shouldn't be in the Bible. And this some person says, well, this should be in the Bible. And, and then and they argue, well, this James wrote this book and this James. I'm just going to read the book. It's in the Bible. God's the real author of it. I'm just going to read it. And we're just going to study the book and see what it says. That's all we're going to do. We're going to see what we're not going to get caught up in all these things. We're just going to read the book and see what it says. I'm sure by the end of it, we'll be praising God for it. I'm sure we will. And we'll discuss each thing that comes up in this book as we read it. Each thing that comes before us, we'll look at it. And I encourage you to, to read it at home too. Read, read just the first chapter as we're going through the first chapter. And then when we go through the second chapter, just read the second chapter. You know, even a couple times a week, just to prepare your hearts and minds for what we're going to look at. So let's look here. Let's look at what we see here in the book of James. James brings forth that he's a servant. He brings forth that he's a servant. And James will bring forth many issues in this book, which we struggle with. And remember that all these things that are written in this book is written for our learning, to guard us and to help us in our pilgrimage on this earth. If one trusts in temporal things, well, they're going to have no hope and no peace, are they? Because temporal things come and then they're gone. They change. But if we trust in Christ and Christ alone, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And may God give us strength to do that. I got a little ahead of myself there. We'll, look, we'll go back to James chapter 1 in a few minutes. But all the things we look at in this world are just temporal. And those things are going to be addressed in this book. It's written to the brethren, as we saw. It's not written to the whole world. It's written to God's born-again, blood-washed saints. And we can therefore conclude, again, that the warnings and exhortations that we're seeing in this book are for us. They're for us. So when James speaks of the tongue, he's speaking to me. He's speaking to me. When he tells us that the tongue's the most dangerous member in our body, he's speaking to me. He's not speaking about the gossiper who lives down the street. He's speaking to me as a believer. My, oh, my. And if we approach this study of this wonderful book that way, I believe it'll prove to be a great blessing to us. I really do. I think as we approach Scripture that way in general, it'll turn out to be a great blessing to us because the Holy Spirit had these men pen these words for us as believers. They're not just some words that were written down thousands of years ago. This book, again, again, transcends time and and culture because we're taken out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, aren't we? So with these thoughts in our minds, let us look at the salutation here found in verse 1 where we see the writer declares himself as James. The name is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Jacob. This book dates around A.D. 62. So around 62 years after our Lord's death, this book was written. And James is sometimes called the brother of our Lord. He wrote this epistle. He spoke of defense of Simon Peter when the Jews were pressing Paul to circumcise the Gentile believers in Acts 15 verses 1 to 8. And in Galatians chapter 1, he's spoken of, it says, 
But other the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. And Paul wrote that in Galatians of the time he went up to Jerusalem and spent 15 days with Peter. So he had no other communication with anyone other than Peter and James the Lord's brother. Some historical writers referred to him as James the Just. Well, always remember that the only way we're just is in Christ. So that's not a bad title, is it? And we could say that of all of us. <laughs> we're the just ones. We're the just ones in Christ. Now, you've heard me say that God uses men of different personalities, right? We've talked about that before. But we all have the same message. We all have the same message. And we're going to see here how different James' salutation is from Paul or Peter's. James' greeting does not speak of the sweet words of grace, mercy, and peace. Let's look at verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. James here does not begin or end his epistle like the other writers of the epistles. And yet they all have the same message. We'll see that he has the same message as Paul. He's just coming at it from a different place. Same message, though. The message of salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ alone by the sin atoning complete work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Notice here, too. Notice here in our introduction that James does not vault himself up. He could have said, James the Apostle, right? Like modern-day folks in religion like to let everybody know who they are. You ever see these folks walk around with collars on? That's to let you know that they think they're more holy than you are. That's exactly what that's all about. <laughs> that's exactly what that's all about. Or when we're going to come into that season where everybody's going to be wearing that black ash on their forehead, right? That's just to show you that they're more holy than you are. No, they're not. We don't have to do things like that, do we? Because we're holy in Christ, Jesus our Lord. And look at how, look how, this is James the Apostle. Look how he identifies himself. James, a servant of God. He's not vaulting himself up over the other, other believers, is he? Even the believers he's writing to. He's not vaulting himself up. He just says, James, a servant of God. I'm just a servant of God. He doesn't vault himself over those he writes to. And here he describes himself as a servant of God. A bond slave in the Greek. A bond slave of God. A willing servant. When was he made willing? In the day of God's power. You see how it all ties in? See how the scriptures all tie in together? He was an unwilling person at one time. And now he's a willing bond servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my, it's incredible. What a miracle of grace. And we see here in this salutation, he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's bringing forth here in this salutation, he refers to both the Father, who is God, and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is brought forth to assure we who are believers in Christ that one may not be served without the other. One cannot be served without the other. If you serve God the Father, you will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you will serve God the Father and the Holy Spirit too, because eh? the three are one. We love them all. We love our great triune God. And we... We see then, as we looked at a few weeks ago, that Christ Jesus our Lord is the chosen faithful servant of God. Because again, you can't serve one without the other. And yet he is God. Yet he is God. He's a submissive servant to God the Father while he's on this earth. So we see here that James, as, as every believer proclaims, describes himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James brings forth that he's a servant of God. 
in the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he writes in this manner again, putting himself on the same footing as every single believer. Isn't that wonderful? That's how it should be. I'm no better than any of you. I'm worse. I need Christ. I need Christ just as much as you do, if not more. (laughs) My goodness. I know my own sinfulness. And you know your own sinfulness, right? But praise be to God. All our sins are forgiven in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That just means praise be to God, right? Don't let, don't let people steal these wonderful words. Oh, praise God. Now, the word servant, again, in the Greek means bond slave, or one who has willingly given himself to a lifelong service of his master, whom he loves, all because he's, again, made willing in the day of God's power. And this is true of every born-again, blood-washed believer. Let's read verse 1 again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So not only is he a servant of God the Father by creation, right? Because we're all servants of God, even though people don't acknowledge it, right? He owns us. He created us. But he's a servant by an effectual calling as well. He's a servant by the regenerating power of God the Holy Spirit. He's a willing bond slave. He's a willing bond slave. He's one who now preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yet he brings himself to the same level. This apostle brings himself to the same level as every other believer. What's that tell me as a preacher? I'm on the same level as everybody else. Ground at the foot of the cross is level, Scott used to say. There it is. Right there in our text. Right there. What Brother Scott Richardson used to say is right there. Isn't that wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. And we see this letter is written to the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a twofold meaning here. First, it means... It includes those believers among the Jews who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And secondly, it speaks to the entirety of the Israel of God, which is who? The elect of God. The elect of God. We're scattered all over, aren't we? All over. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. And we'll read verses 26 to 29. And then we're going to go back and look at one word quick and finish it. Look at this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus... For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in who? In Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Israel of God is God's elect. Isn't that wonderful? Oh my. Let's go back quickly to James chapter 1. We'll look at one word and then we're close. Look at this. James chapter 1. I think it's important for us to look at this word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now we think that means, hello, how are you? Right? And some people have said, well, that's not much of a greeting. That's not much of a salutation. But you know what that means in the Greek? It means to rejoice, be glad. So let's read it that way. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, rejoice and be glad. Well, that changes it, doesn't it? It's a wonderful salutation. Oh, my. What a wonderful one-word greeting. James tells the tried, born-again, blood-washed believers that he's going to write to here to rejoice and to be glad. And who can we only rejoice in? Christ. We can only rejoice in Christ. So what a message for us today as we go through this worldwide pandemic, this global pandemic. And on top of that, the storms and trials of our lives. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice.
and be glad. This, this one word is the tenor for this whole book, beloved. May God be glorified through the preaching of his word.